Welcome to They That Hope with Father Dave and Deacon Bob, seeing humor and hope in a crazy world. And I'm Deacon Bob. What's up, Bob? Hey, Father Dave. How are you this morning? Good. Should I be sad that, that the United States women lost? Um, yes. World Cup soccer? Yeah, okay. you should absolutely be sad. Okay, that I'm sad. But I was not a huge fan of this team. Is that right? Yeah. Well, they didn't do much to endear ourselves yeah. in terms of winning. I think in the group stage, they won one game. Right. Uh, tied the other two, maybe? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, they, they barely scraped out of the group stages. And then they ended up, uh, because they came out low in the group stages, they ended up playing Sweden, who are a powerhouse yeah, of yeah. a team. In fact, I think in our last five or four or five games versus Sweden, we've only, we've only won one of them. They're our nemesis. They, they kind of are. They are the ones in the Olympics. We got bronze and they got silver. So yeah, you, yeah. Sweden. So they've been they've been they've had yeah. our number for a little bit. So that that we lost to Sweden wasn't the shocker. I think I think the bigger shocker was that we didn't do better coming out of the group stage, yeah. which would have at least delayed facing the, the a number one team. The inevitable, but the inevitable. But it's it's a team. I don't know. Some of the personalities just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. Well. We lost. Um, it's over. Goodbye. They played better. We don't have to pay attention. For well, just a little bit. They played great. Oh, oh. Like that game, they had the energy that sometimes had been missing in it. It ended up going to penalty kicks, mm-hmm. and even some of our stars missed it. Alex Morgan, mm-hmm. uh, Megan Rapinoe, Rapinoe, Rapinoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a tough loss. I think uh, a lot of the fingers are being pointed at the coach, the coach, the manager. Yeah, the manager. I don't think he'll be around much longer. Like, 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 like really they're gonna, like they're going to kill him. No, oh, no, that's no, 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 like he's that's just going to get fired. He's just going to get fired. So um, anyway, that's sad. And now sad. Uh, it's kind of a weird thing because I know a lot of networks were really trying to promote watching it. But once the U.S. team yeah, is oh, out, no, it's no, over. <laughs> nobody it's cares. Over. Nobody yeah, wants to watch they're it. They're hating life. Yeah. So we went, we had our alumni baseball game last week. Oh, wait, can I say one more soccer thing though? Um, only if you have to. We're on the theme of it. Messi. He scored again? Twice again. Twice. He's, he's he scored beast. two goals every game. One of them was absolutely bonkers. He's tearing it up. Like he's, well, he's as, been, as you'd expect. It's like no, no, no. Not necessarily as you'd expect. A, I want to just throw this out here. He's a man among boys. He is a man among boys. But you know, when Beckham got here, now Beckham was a little bit injured. He, it took Beckham a little bit of time to get going and to help his team start winning. Messi shows up with the worst team in the MLS and boom, they're just, they're starting to, they're just starting to dominate. Now there's no mathematical possibility they can make the playoffs because they are that bad of a team, even showing up halfway through the season. Um, But it is absolutely amazing. You know, you could argue that even though Messi's 36, he is probably the best. I would just say this, like at, He's the best soccer player who's played in the United States on a team. Yeah. Like, like yeah. in this yeah. moment, like in like Pele came, but when Pele came, he was, he was in a walker. He, yeah. I mean, he wasn't at the form. I mean, Messi just came off winning yeah. a World Cup. So, yeah. again, even though he's older for a soccer player, we have never seen a player this good. Like Beckham was older and a bit injured. You can think of Zlatan. You can think of a number. You know, David Silva. A number of really great players that came to Major League Soccer, but we've never seen anything like Messi. There you go. And it's worth acknowledging, and I'm glad we just did. Okay, we did. So we went to have the baseball <laughs> game with the Pirates. Oh, yeah, let's get the baseball. Let's get the baseball. We had, uh, it was fun, though. We had uh, 84 people. Okay. It was, it was an alumni event that was really, really fun. Yeah. Just, it's just fun. Sorry seeing. I missed it. I was thinking of going. Yeah, yeah. No, um, didn't, did you have the last year or the previous year? 
No, I don't think I've been okay. to an alumni baseball event. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, yeah. Tim, the director of Do you guys all alumni, sit in the same place? We do. We, in the same area, right? Same area. Right. And we do a big barbecue before with brats and- Where? And, and the, in one of the parking lots. It's kind of under a bridge area. Tim under goes down. Bridge. Tim goes down there early and sets it up okay. and- yeah, it was great. It was. It's always good to see alumni. Is that I mean, sketchy? You're talking about like doing no, no, a just barbecue a, under a bridge? No, it's it's under the bypass, so you don't have to. Oh, worry that makes about it weather. sound so you much better. You don't have to worry about weather and that kind of thing. Okay, I mean, it's just nice. Yeah. And so that was great. It was great seeing everybody. Is that legal? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. it's a big parking lot. It's okay. it's a tailgate, and then I'm going to a game. I don't think next I've ever week. actually gone to a tailgate, to be honest. Oh my goodness. That's just like when people like hang out in the parking lot ahead of time, right? Yeah. And they eat, and they'll have a beer, and they'll talk and play cornhole and stuff. Yeah, it's fun. That sounds horrible. You've never done a tailgate. That does not surprise me. Well, no. I just want to go to the game. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I can understand for baseball trying to find other more exciting things to do beforehand. It's a blast. Especially, it's just, getting, it's, it's, especially it's, having beer. Well, the thing about it, that's, it's, just a, it's a great social time. It's yeah. just catching up. So it was great. And then I'm going to a game. Uh, we're having. I'm going home next week. And okay. We're having a guy's night out, and me and my brother and nephews and brother-in-law are all going to the ballgame. So oh, that's fun. fun. Yeah. In Arizona, uh-huh. the um, Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks, How yeah. are they doing? Um, well, they were doing pretty good. They've had kind of a little skid here lately. I'm trying to remember who they play. They, they play maybe the Padres. Okay. So it's funny. When we were out in California, we were at a restaurant one night, and I'm obviously my habit, and somebody comes up and they said, hey, the Padres gave you a night off. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, laugh. I said, yeah, that's... That's funny. So yeah, how, it's good. How are my cubbies doing? Um, you know, I don't not. I haven't heard much of them, so I can't imagine that they're doing very well. I kind of just pay attention to the top couple of teams. So, okay, that yeah. sounds good. Is Randy Johnson still throwing for the Diamondbacks? He's not. He 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 quit. Maybe fifteen years ago. All right. Yeah. I wonder how yeah. Mark, I wonder how Mark Sandberg's doing. Yeah, for yeah. The Cubs. he yeah. had a good run. He yeah, he did. He had, he had the other is run. so. I tried to get Bob to watch the movie. Oh, yeah, right. So if you listened last week, he was trying to tell me it wasn't a horror movie. And it's not. Dude, it's freaky. Well, evil is freaky. But so it's not a I didn't horror watch movie. It. So I, he learned that my second phobia after Needles <laughs> is horror movies. Yeah. Dude, I couldn't so, even take so the trailer. The so trailer said, like freaked me out. Did you? He said uh, you and Jen were going to watch it. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I talked. I'm like, hey, Jenny, like, I, I hear this text. is a really great movie. And she wanted to know if it has a happy ending. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's a it's a movie about a person possessed by the evil one. So, what does happy mean? But then, yeah. happy would be Jesus shows up, so, casts out so, the demon, and this person becomes a saint, so, like in the Bible. So then, there are a number of text messages that we had that yes, yes. and uh, so finally he writes back, and goes, "I'm not watching this. I didn't even make it through the trailer." <laughs> but I'm telling you, folks, it is a good movie. I mean, it's not. It's obviously not a kids' movie. Um, but it's really, it's really interesting. Very, yeah, very actually. There's you could actually spend quite a bit of time with this film. Just yeah. some of the quotes and. Well, what were some of the quotes? Since since I won't watch it, well, but I did end up reading the whole storyline because yeah, I was trying to see if my wife. The guy who's would so the storyline is about a guy who's possessed and they think that he's crazy and he's on he's, death row. He's yeah right. He's in jail. Yeah, so he wants to be found. Insane. Uh, no, he wants to be found sane so he can be killed. Oh, he wants to be yeah, killed. So. Oh. Um, so it's interesting, like the, the guy always, when it, whenever the evil one speaking, yeah. he speaks of Jesus as the carpenter, which is just kind of an interesting, but he talks about his, it's, it's again from the screw tape letters, so like his Lord, his king is always the evil one. It just, mm. it takes you a while to get used to that, 
you know, how he speaks of his king, the evil one, glowingly and yeah. with affection. And it's just, and then the guy who's the doctor is an atheist and he's really struggling with, there's something not right with this guy, but right. if I actually believe he's possessed, what is the other questions that, that it, that's going to raise? And hmm. yeah, it's just, it's, it's a powerful movie. Yeah. yeah but you're not going to see it. So no. All right. No. Okay. I read the Bible. Did you go to Mission Impossible yet? I just saw it yesterday. Yeah. It was amazing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Really it was good. that was a fantastic movie. You know, I went out, I went with some friends and as we were leaving it just felt like an awesome like nineties yeah. action movie. Yeah, it's just, just it's just fun. Just it's straightforward, exactly great stunts, great pace. It is a part one, but they did a really good job, I thought, of standing on its own. Standing on it it resolves one storyline and then it just teases into another. Yeah. But it it was I was actually worried it was going to be just a huge cliffhanger and not exciting. I knew it was going to be exciting, but man, it was a great movie. Yeah, so it's I it probably so won't be in the movie theaters much longer. But wow, I that's been so a, that's become a great franchise and really really yeah. fun. And I still haven't seen uh, Sounds of Freedom. Have you been able to see it yet? No, no, no. This is the first movie I got. I was I'm actually trying to go and catch the movies before they disappear out of the theater. I might be too late. Yeah, on on some of that stuff. Yeah, but. it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. The Sounds of Freedom, obviously the drug uh, human, human trafficking, trafficking yeah. with Caviezel. They they want it to be in the theater first because it's apparently a really troubling movie. Yeah. You know, just the topic and the theme, and they're concerned that if it's in at your home, you'll just turn it off mm. and you won't watch it. So they they, they say you need to see the whole story. But I tried to go the other night. Well, actually, the other night now was two or three weeks ago, but it was sold out. So I'd still wow. like to see that. Yeah, maybe when I get back, we could watch it. You know, something. Yeah, that I, I wouldn't mind that actually. And um, you, just on a related note, uh, what's kind of cool in Maine, and some states are starting to do this. This sounds a little bit weird. They're decriminalizing prostitution, but they're keeping laws against um, you know, the, you know, like pimps and sure, sure. you know people are involved in it. And your first blush might be that doesn't sound right. Well. The women who are involved in prostitution usually are not willing participants. Yeah, you know, yeah. forget what you see in the movies and other things like that. No woman actually is like, I think this would be a great career mm-hmm. choice. They're usually manipulated into it. And the problem is one, one of the things that's been very difficult to help these women is if they come forward, they're going to go to jail because prostitution is illegal. So there's a number of states and there's also legislation in other places that are trying to move towards decriminalizing the women in prostitution, but keeping the laws against those who employ these women, put these women, and that, and they think that that's actually a really important part of ending human trafficking, because again, you know, what woman wants to do this? It's not really a situation, you know, yeah, right, exactly. So I think that's just something to keep praying for. And if you hear that in the news and get a weird spin on it, you know, my first take was Maine decriminalized prostitution. I thought, well, that's horrible. But then you read into it, you're like, that's great. Like yeah. that's they're really trying to save women, give them legal protection so they can come forward at any time and then point the finger to whoever was, you know, put them in this situation. They go to those people go to jail yeah, yeah. and then these women can get the help that they need. Yeah, okay, this is a long first section folks, but maybe the, just the last thing in Ohio would be as you're listening to this yesterday was voting on constitutional amendment. Right. Trying um yeah, the, the pro pro abortion, pro everything, most things we stand against, really wants to change it, or wants to keep it at fifty percent of the people to be able to change the constitution. Right. And the pro life group want to make it sixty percent, so it's it's more difficult for 
pro-choice groups to change the Constitution and yep. have a constitutional amendment. So uh, by the time you listen to this, we've already voted. Let's hope you vote yes. So let's hope that that, that won. So. And those of you that don't live in Ohio, just be attentive for this yeah. kind of strategy. Yeah, for yeah, you know these, these states that have constitutional protections for the unborn, right, the next question is, well, what can we do to change, change the Constitution? It. If it's 50%, it's a lot easier. So we'd prefer it be 60%. So that's yeah. where we are. Indeed. God bless everybody. You made it sound like you ended the No, just show. that section. Keep listening. Please yeah. keep listening. Well, this is the part of the show where they fast forward anyway, so I guess it works out. That's okay. But this is kind of cool. Is it? Here's some Lord of the Rings trivia for you, I'm Father not going to get it right. Okay. There's no way. Did you know that September 22nd... Oh, this I do know. You do know this? Yeah, we're having a conference? No. Huh. Well, yes. Now, okay, you, you just ruined the whole promo. That's uh-huh. like you just jumped to the end of it. Oh, sorry about that. Did you know that September 22nd is the birthday of Hobbit's Bilbo Baggins and Frodo Baggins? No, we should do a conference to celebrate that. Well, funny you mention that, because this year it's also the date that Franciscan University is hosting a conference all about Lord of the Rings author J.R.R. Tolkien. And do you know what the, the initials stand for? John Robert Robert. We're good. Robert's such an awesome name. It is. That's not accurate at all. Join us on September 23rd, 22nd and 23rd for a long-expected party, a semi-centennial celebration of Tolkien's life, works, and afterlife. The conference will celebrate the legacy of one of the 20th century's greatest Catholic authors and honor him during the 50th anniversary of his death. We have a fantastic lineup of Tolkien scholars and speakers. We hope to see you there. Learn more and register at franciscan.edu slash token dash conference. <laughs> That's franciscan.edu slash token dash conference. By the way, you spelled Tolkien, T-O-L-K-I-E-N, dash conference. And I think if you dress up as one of the Lord of the Rings characters, you, you get 50% off. I think that's right. Um I mean, we just said so. Fifty percent off your coffee. Your any yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. off your coffee, <laughs> cup of coffee. Not, not your registration. No, 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 that would be so great if people larped and just showed up there. Yeah, that would be great. a huge fight breaks out Did between you like see elves that and that happened in New York. No, some influencer put out this thing. I'm going to start giving away free. What are those playstations or something like that? I mean, there are playstations. Okay, yes. It, was total right. I mean, did they give away free PlayStations? Well, I think that was the plan, but so many kids came uh, and, yeah. and it just turned out it literally a riot. Oh no, people got arrested, and so anyway. Wow, wow. So, did you pay much attention to World Youth Day? I paid a little bit of attention. To World here's Youth Day. you know, here's my line about World Youth Day. I oh, love, what is your I line? love I love everything about World Youth Day except World Youth Day. Because <laughs> <laughs> so those of you that don't know, World Youth Day usually starts on the Wednesday before the the actual World Youth Day with mm-hmm. catechetics, catechesis, and small group gatherings. People and stuff. stay in people's houses very often. Yeah, uh, yeah. Every language has yeah. its own sessions from bishops. Um, it's it's really it's an amazing thing. Until World Youth Day. And then what everybody <laughs> does is everybody gathers at some large site and you sleep outside yes. uh, overnight uh, for about, usually about 24 hours with about a million people. And yeah. it's mayhem. It's a, it's a, it's mayhem. It's a pilgrimage. It's, it's a mayhem, mayhem of pilgrimage. So, but there's some interesting things that came about. One of the things that I was touched by was the Holy Father talking about the need for adoration. Okay. It's interesting, in the light of the Eucharistic Congress, there are some people who are being very critical of the Eucharistic Congress, which is, I think, just ridiculous. And one of the authors was recently saying that 
You know, you, if, if you just focus on adoration, you forget the other person. It's just Jesus and me. And that's just largely ignorant. I mean, yeah. somebody who says that doesn't know, simply research that the parishes that are having Eucharistic adoration are more socially aware, more socially conscious. But the Holy Father said a beautiful thing. He said, we need to aliven the, the Eucharistic adoration in the church today, particularly among the young. And then he made a beautiful connection between Eucharistic adoration and evangelization, hmm. that, that it's at the heart of it, that the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we want other people to know what we know and see what we've seen. So he, he makes this connection between adoration and, and um, evangelization that I thought was beautiful. And the other thing that he did is he, he was speaking to college students in there must have been some administrators there. Okay. And he was saying, encouraging colleges, he said, uh, dream, don't live in fear. You know, he goes, much like uh, a museum is just kind of in it, looking at itself, a university has got to be out, it's got to dream, it's got to dare. He makes made this analogy of a seed. A seed gets thrown into the dirt and it seems like it's, but it's going to explode with life. Yeah. Uh, so he said he made this same challenge to the to the. Uh, Universities, and the last thing he said, which I always—I'm not a huge fan of this—but okay. he said to the young people, "Go change the world." And I'm always <laughs> about like, who needs that pressure? I get what he means. I totally get what he means. And 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 the reality is, we've seen young saints that have really had a huge impact. Right. But, but sometimes it's like, man, they don't know when to change their T-shirt. You yeah, they're so. not wrong. But I would say this, and this is, I think, a common uh, American misconception. So World Youth Day is really more World Young Adult Day. Yeah. Um, you know, we have an interesting experience here in the United States. Those of you that might remember when John Paul II came to Denver for World Youth Day in 1993, it used to be that nobody under 18 could come to World Youth Days. But the U.S. bishops were so concerned that nobody would go all the way out to Denver at the time, they dropped the age to teenagers. So anytime you travel to World Youth Day and you see a teenager, it's a really high chance that they're from America. Yeah. And so in America, our experience, our cultural experience has often been World Youth Day is a high school thing because we also refer to youth ministry as a high school thing. But the, the, sh- the main goal of World Youth Day is really those in their 20s. That's kind of the – that's the target audience of, of folks that are there. And when you see – and when you listen to some of uh, Francis's messaging to young people, when he's talking about young people – um, he, he's really talking about to those in their 20s, those yeah. that are college students, those that have graduated, those that are starting families, those that are entering into the workforce. Now, which and, World Youth Days did you do? Well, you and I did 2000. Right, that was Toronto, that yeah, was in, in, Rome. in Rome. Yeah, did that we was do a, Toronto too? No, that was the only one I did. I, okay. I learned my lesson yeah, after. That's uh, just not you. It just was not World me. Not well, you. I was a youth minister at the time in Toronto, and I don't know what – it just didn't work out that there was energy – because we had Cause done it was such only a four big, hours from your home. It was only four. That was that was the irony. Well, we had just done. That was back when World Youth Days were two years apart. So we had just put all this energy into the year two thousand trip, and we had decided, as a parish, we would go every four years. So it wouldn't kind of. I mean, it takes two or three years to fundraise. So it felt really dr- draining after Rome to be like it's going to be in Toronto. Start fundraising. Oh gosh, we just did that. And, and anyway. Other things went on. Some people from my parish did go. And then I got hired here at Franciscan mm-hmm. University. So that was my yeah. my last chance to be a youth leader I guess leader I did at these six, six or seven of them over the years. Okay. I mean, it's it's the, my understanding is this was not as large as some of the other ones that have been held in Europe, which yeah. is maybe to be expected. 
But you heard where the next one is. Yeah, Seoul, North or yeah, South, South Korea. Korea. <laughs> better not be North. in North Korea. That's great. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have a small turnout. Yeah, exactly. World Youth Day. Yes. Yeah. So that'd be really interesting. Yeah. To have it in Seoul. So. That's and I think great. it's beautiful so, that part of it is Pope Francis wants to just go to some of the smaller, mm-hmm. more distant places. I mean, mm-hmm. like even as you've seen what he's chosen, you know, Panama City. That's not like Panama City, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, I think that's beautiful. He's really just trying to bring the experience to. The youth of the world. Yeah, in, and in just if you places. think about numbers, obviously it's a smaller Catholic population, although there are a lot of Catholics in South Korea. But I think just because of the nature of it, it should it'll probably be a large event. Is it in two years or three years? Three years. Three years. Okay. Yeah. So they I think it was at the end of John Paul II's pontificate, they started to do it every three years okay. just because it was getting a bit tough. I mean, it's hard to turn around and keep yeah, doing those yeah, events, yeah, yeah. you know, every other year. Yeah, it's tough on the local on the local church, too. Yeah. I mean, on one level, there's a grace to it, but it's right. also a lot of work. It's a lot of, of work. So God bless all of those. Not that you're listening, but if you were part of it. Well, some of you probably went. So yeah. if you uh, went, that's awesome. Hey, feel free to actually shoot us an email and tell us a story about your experience at World Youth Day. Hope at franciscan.edu. That just, might be fun to share. Yeah, just real quick. Do you know Rob Reynolds? Um, the actor? Uh, no. So he's going to World Youth. I was with him in it. And conference in California, okay. and he's never been before. And I said, "Oh, do you have everything for like the sleepover?" He goes, "What's that?" I li- literally, he was just going with his kids. He had no idea, no idea. what he was. It's like, bro, you and I need to have a cup of coffee. Yeah. So I hope you survived. I think World Youth Day 2000 was the only time in my life I've slept outside overnight. Yeah, I mean, maybe when I was a kid in my backyard, maybe. 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 We have a great week of feasts coming up. I love love Ordinary Time. I've said this before, but it is absolutely one of my favorite liturgical seasons. And what I love about Ordinary Time, you know, every liturgical season has a grace. And Ordinary Time is about the life of a disciple. It's focused on the life of Jesus and how we can grow in discipleship. It's Jesus teaching the apostles, which is Jesus teaching us. The other reason I love Ordinary Time is because of just the the amazing feasts, mm-hmm. the amazing saint days that we get to celebrate. And this upcoming week is actually one of my this, – this chunk of time here in August is actually one of my favorite. Yeah. This in January and, and then October. This is why I love Ordinary Time. But we have some amazing feasts coming up this week. Well, it's interesting. On, on Friday of last week, the first reading was from Leviticus, which is always mm, – always, always a always, win. Always, yeah, yeah, barn burner there. But it was said, this is how you should celebrate your festivals. And what I preached about was ordinary time, is mm. that the, the church provides us these opportunities just in ordinary time to celebrate, and this is how you should do it, right? Yeah. So the church has a calendar, which is just fantastic. Yeah, Bob and I were just texting back and forth about what we're going to do today, and it's like, well, we could talk about this saint and that this saint, because we've got, we've got St. Clair coming up. Right. We have St. Lawrence, which you're going to say a word or two. We've yeah. got uh, the Feast of the Assumption on the 15th, and we've got Maximilian Colby, and I think there was one other. So, but Ian yeah. Stein. Edith uh, Stein, Teresa, that's right. Edith, Edith uh, Stein. The cross. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Edith Stein, Teresa Benedict of the Cross. Powerful story. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We're actually looking at having a conference in Edith Stein Conference. She's just really, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, so it just made me reflect on my time in, in Auschwitz and being able to go. I've probably been, I don't know, quite a few times. And just to be able to go to the cell where he was. I remember one particular time, uh, it's it's... It's really moving. You walk you walk down a cold hallway. It's cold concrete with bars. And, and then to be able to kneel next to his uh, cell. And I was by myself, and I was just really praying about just the witness that he was. There's a kind of a personal connection. Obviously, he's a friar, but 
story of his is is powerful. I, I've had occasions once when I was what in China. What kind of friar was he, by the way? He was, a, I believe, he was a conventional. Okay, yeah. But I had, I had an opportunity one time in China. I was talking about in, and obviously everything through a translator. I just mentioned Colby, and you could tell a look on on the interpreter's face and on the people's face. They they didn't know who he was. Didn't know who he was. Yeah. So to be able to tell the story of Maximilian Colby's just it's such a powerful, moving story. And well, then I actually remember when um, Jordan Peterson, you and Jordan yeah, Peterson exactly. was here, a similar thing. Yeah, we we sometimes in Catholic speak we. Th- why don't we just briefly tell the story? There might be somebody listening that's going, yeah, yeah, what are you yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about? So Maximilian Kolbe was arrested and was taken to Auschwitz. This is during, obviously, World War II. Yeah, yeah. A number of people uh, had escaped the camp so that they were trying to figure out who it was. So they lined up a bunch of individuals and they said, you know, for one person that escaped, one person was going to be killed. And one of them was a father and he kind of steps up and goes, you know, please, no, I'm a father of children. And Kolbe steps forward and says, I'll take his place. And he ends up dying in this individual's uh, place, which is the connection is, is, and I've told this story before, I'm sure, the person that died, his uh, great nephews and nieces were classmates of mine in college. In oh, high I school. actually never yeah. heard that. Yeah, so it's really cool. But but then just the And Colby. the person who was saved, by the way, was at his Did mass. Did I say the person who died or the person who was saved? Oh, I think the person. I think you said saved. the person yeah, who died, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, person, right, so saved, the right. person was saved and... Um, Ended up spending his life telling the story. Of yeah, and, and again, the people I went to school with were all at that canonization. They had pictures with him. And oh my it was really, gosh. It was really powerful beatification. Be that, but it was, um, but just that that he was praying while he was. They starved him, and then they ended up killing him with uh, injection of some poison. I don't remember what it was, but the guards didn't want to be around him anymore because mm-hmm. he was singing and he was praying, and they just they couldn't reconcile this. And yeah, so to be able to be there and to pray and to be quiet and to be still. And then the other thing that I always do when I take people to Auschwitz is there's there's a little place called, it's in Harmony, it's about maybe four or five miles away. And it's an art exhibit by the conventuals. And it's of a guy who was in Auschwitz at the same time as Colby was. And it was a really beautiful story. He, um, he was in Auschwitz with a bunch of his friends and they made a deal. If anybody made it out alive, they would tell the story. So he makes it out and he never talks about it again uh, until he had a stroke in his late 60s. And part of the healing from the stroke was him to do art. So this exhibit is just his memories of Auschwitz. Hmm. And there was some memories of Colby, but it's it's graphic, it's grotesque. But it, what it does is it, when you go to Auschwitz, it's, you know, 4 million, I mean, 1 million, 2 million, 3 million people. It just, yeah. those are numbers. You can't so, even imagine. No, them. you can't imagine. So what this does, some of the artwork it puts a face to it. Yeah. It puts a story to it. Um, so, yeah. So I, I, yeah. It's funny to say I love the feast of Maximilian Kolbe <laughs> because it's such right. a, but it's a really powerful, moving story as well. And it ties into Edith Stein, yeah. uh, Saint Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. Uh, she's a not not as well known as Kolbe, a Carmelite uh, nun, and she was Jewish. Studied philosophy, was an incredible scholar, which was rare for a woman to be able sure. to achieve those kinds of distinctions at her time. Uh, converts, uh, you know, has a conversion to Christ and actually joins the Carmelite, you know, the, the Carmelite order. And when they were, when the, when the uh, Nazis were rounding up the Jews, um, she wanted to be known as a Jew. You know, she, she put a star on her habit and she, I don't, I don't, was it Auschwitz or was it? It was, it was Auschwitz. Yeah, it was, it was, also, it was also in Auschwitz. Yeah, right, right. Back. And so um, also just was a martyr for the faith, an amazing woman uh, who wanted to die with her sisters. Just just incredible. And that's, really that's why sometimes you hear of her as Edith Stein. You know, it's in, when John yeah. Paul II canonized her, 
part of it was a recognition of her Jewish heritage as well. And so she'll be known as Edith Stein or as uh, Sister Teresa Benedicta of the Cross mm. because they both represent both elements of her life. You know, she really felt like her Judaism was the foundation for her Christianity and uh, and, and again, wanted to die with her brothers yeah, and sisters. Beautiful. It's just in so her feast days, I think Thursday, maybe or Wednesday. Yeah. It, oh, it, cool. it, it's around there at some point. So great. Amen. Great. And then on, but no, it's not on Thursday because Thursday is actually is, the is feast of okay. Deacon Lawrence. Uh, it's an interesting feast because of how elevated it is. We were, uh, Dave and I were talking before the show, you know, St. Dominic, who you probably know of way more, at least because of the Dominicans is a memorial, but uh, Lawrence is a big time feast of the church period. You know, if you do the liturgy of the hours, you're doing all the Sunday readings, mm-hmm. you know, and what I love about, there's two things I love about Lawrence. First of all, the, it's an interesting story. As we're recording the podcast today, which is Monday, it's um, Sixtus and his companions. And this is the Pope. This, I think, is 257. The emperor was Valerian, and Valerian was killing anybody who pronounced themselves to be Christians and also was taking their property. So that was another, that was another grab. Um, and so everybody had to either renounce Christianity or get their property taken away and then, you know, suffer, suffer death. So Valerian captures the Pope. And at the time, Rome had seven deacons. This was actually a while in the early church. They always had seven deacons. And so he captures Sixtus and four of his deacons and kills them. And that's what happened today on, you know, on this date in August 7th. The other three of the three remaining deacons, two of them ran away and they get killed a couple days later. But uh, Lawrence is the last standing deacon of Rome, and Valerian tells Lawrence, you've got three days in which to bring all the riches of the church to me. And Lawrence says, okay, I'll do that. And, and what's cool is like this is one of the few feasts – one of the only ones I know that like this plays out in real time in the liturgical calendar, you know, with today being Sixtus and then three days later being the death of Lawrence. And what Lawrence does is Lawrence brings all the poor – into the presence of the emperor. And Lauren says, here's the riches of the church. <laughs> Valerian was not happy about yeah. that. Um, and Come on, so, get a sense of humor, right. buddy. Well, this I, you, great. Know, you know, actually, Lawrence is known as one yeah, of the he things he's patron saints of as comedians. So right, this is why right. I've always loved Lawrence, even before becoming a deacon, because as the story goes, they, uh, they, they put him on a, a grill, essentially, and were burning him alive. And the Lord preserved him from feeling the pain. And at one point he said, you can turn me over and I'm done on this side. Yeah. So like his joy, fantastic. yeah, yeah just the greatest yeah. burn ever, yeah, yeah. which is ironic because he was getting burned at the time. But um, yeah, just the joy of Lawrence, the perseverance of Lawrence, the faithfulness of Lawrence. And it became um, one of the great stories of the early church in a time of difficult persecution. And we talk about why is it so elevated? It's because in this period of history, both the martyrdom of Sixtus and the martyrdom of all seven of the deacons of Rome, including this wonderful and incredible story of faithfulness uh, by Lawrence, really was, historically speaking, a great, one one of the most encouraging stories for Christians in those first few centuries, which persecutions were really quite regular about it. But it's also awesome as a deacon, you know, to be yeah, able sure. to celebrate. You know, he's the highest celebrated deacon. You might argue maybe St. Stephen as well, uh, but really Stephen is more celebrated as a martyr mm-hmm. in that sense of being the first Christian martyr that happens right after Christmas. But, um, you know, deacon in the early church, you know, this is just to explain a little bit of history because it makes sense today. In, in the early church, it wasn't you'd be a deacon and then you'd be a priest no, and right, then you'd be right, a bishop. Right, right. 
in the first really millennia of the church-ish, um, you are either called to be a deacon or you're called to be a priest. One was not the other. They had very distinct roles from each other. And actually many of the and early— it, And it wasn't seen as a step. I mean, It today, wasn't seen today, as a step. With the exception, obviously, but of the permanent, it's largely seen as deacon to priest. Right. And, um, and actually many of the early bishops were formerly deacons. And that kind of made sense because of the way they would, you know, administer and, mm-hmm. you know, do things. So in the Second Vatican, but that changed as we got into the second millennia of the church, which it was seen as more of a, you're a deacon, and then you're a priest, mm-hmm. and then you're a bishop, at least in those orders of holy orders. And that was something that Trent really, really clarified. The Second Vatican Council, when it made the invitation for the permanent diaconate as a new thing, which is men who are married who just want to be deacons, um, they were actually looking back to the beginning of the life mm-hmm. of the church, which was to say that... A deacon isn't, well, I guess the negative way is some people think of deacons as like a half priest, yeah, you know, or, or something that, right. you know, well, you, you know, I guess you, you know, you had you, to be married, married, so, so you, can't, you right. can't do it. It's, and I, and I think this is part of the struggle, even in the church, I would say even among deacons, this idea of what is a permanent deacon? Well, it's not the same mentality as we've had in the church over the past 500 years, which is a deacon is a step towards the priesthood. Right. And even though the sacrament is the same, the intentionality is, is really, really different. And, you know, I was called to be a deacon. I felt no calling to be a priest, but I was called to be a deacon. And I think it's exciting and challenging to figure out, well, in the life of the church, what does, what does a deacon do? What do they look like? I think sometimes we often do treat deacons more like your kind of priest. Like, for example, mm-hmm. Um, when I was in the process of the diaconate, and this wasn't negative, it's just happened. People would often say, I'm so glad you're going to be a deacon because we have such a vocations crisis with the priests and they just need help. And it's like kind of yes, you know, but I'm not there to do communion services Mm -hmm. because the priest isn't available. Um, Part of being a deacon is starting new ministries or uh, continuing ministries that are going on in the church is to have somebody who is ordained to be more closely bound to the church, to be given sacramental grace, to strengthen the ministry, and really to go out and to proclaim the word and to serve, as we saw, you know, other deacons Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like, uh, and I think just you had said Vatican II did something new, but that newness was actually restoring something old. Yeah, exactly. Right, and that's one of the things is that some people, and and I understand why they make this argument, but they just see it as a step. So there was frustration when this came out because, okay, we can now have married deacons. Well, that means we're going to have married priests It because it's been so connected to the priesthood. So that's one of the things that's important. Even, and I know that there's mixed things about whether or not deacons should wear clerics. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously this diocese says yes, some dioceses say no. And that's part of the the issue. This diocese says I should be wearing clerics when I'm doing specifically diaconal ministry, which I think is actually a good... So I'm not supposed to just hang out in my clerics. No, per no. Se. But but what it looks like is is clerics again largely are seen as priests, right? You know, and and so that it you understand why some of the people make this confusion. That, yes. but I think it's a good thing for the church to be able to to restore. I think the necessity. Yeah, I think the necessity yeah. uh, of the permanent deacon because it gives a particular witness. Like I like the fact that we've got we've got you know celibate clergy. And we've got married clergy in the diaconate that actually give, I think, a broader, more beautiful picture of the church. And yeah. that's actually the idea behind it, you know, which is to say that the deacon is 
Christ the servant, whereas the priest is Christ the head. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful image at the liturgy when the Eucharist is being consecrated. You've got the priest there acting in the persona Christi Capitus, the, per, the person of Christ the head, holding up, you know, the, you know, lifting up the bread and the wine. And then by his side is a deacon kneeling who, who is in persona Christi Diacona, who's in the person of Christ the servant, because these are the two things that happen at the Last Supper. It was the washing of the feet, and it was the gift of the Eucharist. And so, right, part of it is the representation of the whole Christ. You know, Jesus was deacon, and he was priest. And it's exciting, I think, as we continue in this life of faith, and as the church continues to have a deeper understanding of what the diaconate can be, because I do believe this was a gift of the Spirit in the Second Vatican Council. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that's still a bit untapped. Um, I think it's a gift to the new evangelization but right, it's it's about, you know, doing something old, but also doing something new. And I wonder if any of you, uh, if there's any men here who are listening to this podcast, and if you feel any stirring in your heart, uh, check it out. Uh, you know, many times it's those that are already involved in a kind of diaconal ministry mm-hmm. that the church wants to be considering, do I in fact feel called for this sacramental grace to be a part of the new evangelization in kind of an exciting and cool way. Amen. But we both know very, very well that no men listen to this. Uh, That's so, true. So next time we'll, well have a conversation ladies, about whether you, or not women it, it, could be deep. Listen to the beginning of the podcast, yeah. and then maybe you could just tell them to fat, you know, hey, wait, come back, come back. That's something that they, they were do. talking about was talking to you. Well, we're grateful for you and grateful for your service to as a deacon, Bob. Oh, so thank, thank you. you so much. Should we pray? Yes, amen. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the call that you've placed on all of our lives, the call to love you and be loved by you and to serve you and serve the church. We thank you particularly for uh, deacons who have answered a special call. We thank you for our brother Bob. Uh, Bless he and Jen and his family and his service to the church. And bless all those listening uh, that they know your peace, your love, your presence, your healing, your restoration, and your freedom. May God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bless Bob. Thanks, Father Dave. And thank all of you uh, for listening, supporting the podcast, sharing this podcast with others. And feel free to shoot us an email, hope at franciscan.edu. That's hope at franciscan.edu. God bless.